Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, parents. My name is Tim Wright. I'm here along with Dr. Michael Gurian for another episode of the Wonder of Parenting podcast, a brain science approach to parenting. And today we have, we always have good topics, but this one is pretty poignant, I think. And that has to do with talking to our kids about substance abuse. And uh, we've got a listener who's written in a question uh, who writes out of some profound grief. Uh, and uh, so it's a very personal email from her. And uh, you'll hear that in a moment. Michael, first of all, I want to say hi to you. I'm glad that you're with us today. Hi, Tim. Thank you. Glad to be here. And we're always so grateful for you listening, and we're, and we're grateful for you and uh, your response to the podcast and your kind emails that you send and uh, the questions that you send in via our, our uh, website, wonderofparenting.com. We appreciate that. And, of course, the interaction that we've been having on our Facebook page, uh, you can join that group over there on Wonder of Parenting. Uh, our, we also want to thank our sponsors a place of hope, the center, and this is a this is a great time to stay connected with them if we're talking about substance abuse because they do work with those kinds of issues as well. And uh, you can check them out at our website, wonderofparenting.com, wonderofparenting.com, and that's the center, a place of hope. There is a link to their great work up there in the Seattle area. So, Michael, I want to read this question, and I'm going to read the whole thing because I think it gives us some good insights uh, that will help us as we talk about this particular question. Uh, My question for you is in regards to teen substance abuse prevention suicide. This topic is near to my heart because my brother committed suicide at 18 after using meth for over a year. I was 20 years old at the time. I was raised in a Christian home with very involved parents. I could not believe that this happened to our family. Losing my brother sparked a passion in me to educate parents and families about teen substance abuse and prevention. Now I'm 35 years old. My husband and I have a 12-year-old daughter, 11-year-old son, and a 7-year-old daughter. They go to a Christian school. Recently, the school brought in a guest speaker who talked to the junior high kids about substance abuse. After listening to my 7th grader's opinion of the talk, I gathered that the speaker mostly used scare tactics in hope of preventing teen substance abuse. In your Patreon talks, you touched on the fact that substance abuse may be masking something else, for example, depression. If that is the case, what would, be, uh, would it be more effective to talk to our kids about anxiety and depression and trauma than it, would, uh, than it would to only tell them drugs can kill you? Kids and adults know that drugs are dangerous and still use them. Would it be more helpful to talk about why we choose to abuse substances? What, if any, uh, topics or tools would be helpful for parents to educate their children on these issues? So this is a big question, heartfelt question. And, of course, our hearts go out to you uh, for the loss of your brother all those years ago and uh, also for your passion to help other families uh, to the best of your ability not experience that. So thank you for asking this question. Uh, Michael, your initial thoughts. Yeah, I want to attack this, if I can, like one question at a time. Yep. Um, because she she lays out the question so well, 
And so I'm going to just um, uh, start with the first one, which I'm, which I'm thinking is, well, what, what would you think is the first question here? <laughs> I think it's, well, let me start with the, yeah. I'm going to start with genetics, and then okay. I'm going to go through yeah, these good. questions. Yes, I'm gonna, good. There are two things I can say that I hope will be really helpful. And now I'm saying these as a researcher, but also more than 30 years, right, as a marriage and family counselor. And um, I'm also saying this because of researching genetics, and I'm saying this for many, many reasons. So, so I think this is really strong and important. When families are going through this, where they where they see like this, uh, an eighteen year old taking meth, and then he commits suicide, he takes his life. There, there are two things to remember that sometimes they don't um, are not told or they don't think about that are going to help bring them some relief. Uh, one is that. And she hints at it when she says he came from a very stable home, everything was stable, and he got hooked on meth. That's that is genes at work. So addiction genetics are real; they're very important. And um, if they will get triggered in someone who's wired that way, um, and this boy got triggered, he was wired that way, um, and and you know gradually that killed him, and so the disease killed him. And so the second piece of this is that we are not in control. That the, and this is a crucial thing that people learn, for instance, in Al-Anon, that the parents are not in control, the siblings are not in control. The person who has co- complete control over this is this kid who became addicted and used substances and ultimately took his own life. The reason I start with that message and that I think it's an important message is that we're going to suggest things people can do. Um, I talk about this actually when I go to other communities. I'm asked to talk about uh, su- suicide prevention. And, and so I do talk about that. I will give strategies. Uh, but I think one of the most crucial things I can say to families to help them work through their pain is those things. These are This is genetics at work. The family has very little control over that. And the family doesn't have control over the child and what the child does, especially if the child is an adolescent, late adolescent and ends up taking his own life. Those sound like life and death things to say. They may sound like stark things to say. Um, but I think they have to be said because, I, uh, especially early in my career, I would work with people who who had lost kids to suicide, and they would be, they would be saying, but what did I do wrong? Um, you know, I, I gave him a good family, and, and what did I do wrong? Or they would say, I did this wrong. Um, I was too harsh with him sometimes, or yeah. I coddled him too much, or whatever it is, because we parents think of ourselves as very flawed, which, which of course we are. Um, and they would think, that caused that. That caused my son to be an addict. And then it caused him to commit suicide. And generally, in the case like this, it is not true. The genetics are what hit, and then the, um, the child was in control. The child's addiction was in control. So that's the first thing I want to say, and I don't. Do you want to respond to that, or should I go forward? Well, I'm guessing what you're going to say. Secondly, is now knowing that uh, that our genes are not our destiny necessarily, so that there are there must be ways then that we could say, all right, how do I identify that, and so on and so forth. Okay. Yes, that's what I. Yep. That's where I'm going next. <laughs> so where I'm going next is um, to think about that, to really think about that in a family system where there has been among. Um, 
could be the parents, could be the grandparents, could be aunt, uncle. Somewhere nearby in the genetic line, there has been addiction. Mm. And if there has been addiction in that genetic line, then to really be looking at the kids as they're going to hit puberty and pre-puberty when the hormones start hitting, because part of what kicks in these genes, um, uh, part of it, part of what kicks in the genes could be trauma. Um, uh, but we want to remember that in terms of significant trauma to the developing brain, the majority of families, their kids do not have significant trauma. There is, however, a large minority. We think it's maybe one in five, maybe a little more, where the kids do have significant trauma. Okay, so that's true. But in most families, not having significant trauma that would that would maybe trigger these genetics. However, they can get triggered anyway as adolescence hits because hormones do that, right? The changes in the brain and the hormones trigger the genes. So be really looking at your kids. If there's been addiction genetics in the line, look at those kids in that 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 range. Uh, You know, that's the first stage of really looking at this. And look at their habits, um, See if they are retreating. I'll pick an age, 12. See if they are, if this boy or this girl is retreating into his or her room at 12. Um, See if he is or she is getting very angry. See if he or she is pulling away too much. You know, not appropriate, really. Um, Completely hates the parents now, you know, and, and, and maybe that's a mask. See... Because some of this is what she's talking about. It could be masking depression, um, and it could be masking the um, the addiction genes kicking in. Um, see if and, and watch for things like marijuana. For that child, for that twelve or thirteen year old, um, using marijuana is probably bad. Because um, you know, whereas for another child, like I don't have the addiction genetics, and I, I know I've talked in some of my books about how I I had a very difficult childhood and I self medicated with marijuana. Um, in Hawaii when I was like 14, 15, 16. Um, I shouldn't have. It wasn't good, but that is what I did. I didn't have addiction genetics, so when I was done with that, I was done with that. But kids who have the genetics for it, um, marijuana could be really troublesome. Alcohol, troublesome. Okay, so can I I want to... Yeah, go uh, ahead. This is really intriguing to me. Do you only become addicted if you have addiction genes or can you abuse say marijuana let's let's just keep it to alcohol uh can you abuse alcohol and without even not having the addiction genes become addicted to alcohol when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply uh, I don't think so. I mean, someone out there is going to be a scientist who has found an exception to this, but um, please write us. But no, no, it's just like depression. You, you're not going to become clinically and chronically depressed unless you already have some genes for it, right? And then things get triggered uh, by a situation, by someone dying, by, um, uh, by a, a, a trauma, you know, and that triggers it. So you already have the genes for it, and these these 
ragged edges on those chromosomes, they're there, and then they get triggered and they become operative, and then the way the proteins work in your brain, everything shifts. Um, they're very powerful. Uh, so no, I, I, I'll use myself as an example. Um, I was using marijuana almost daily in college, um, almost daily for about a year and a half, and I stopped using marijuana, you know, and I don't drink and I don't use drugs. So I don't, you, you have to have those genes, uh, in my estimation. Again, there's got to be an exception out there, but I'm going to say nine billion times you're going to need to have those genes, at least to some extent. Um, because if you have a trauma and you don't have addiction genetics, but you have some other genetics, those are what are going to kick in, like depression, anxiety, mm -hmm. anorexia, bulimia. Th that's what's going to kick in um, uh, in face of the trauma. And, and, so, and addiction genetics are actually some of the most powerful. And the reason that I'm being so... Um, asking people to be so cautious with their early adolescence is that, um, you know, depression genetics kick in, you find the right med, you're, you're working with that depression, the ch a year or two goes by, the, ch the child is not depressed, or even a month or two goes by with good, with good interventions and um, alterations in lifestyle, different eating habits, you know, there's a number of ways you can help depression. But addiction genetics, that's a strong one. And when it starts taking over, mm -hmm. we are not in control. It is incredibly difficult to get that person off that path. And if it mixes with depression, which it often does, especially in males, uh, we want to remember that the male uh, fragile Y, uh, males are much more fragile than we think, and their gene um, genetic system and their gene expression is much more fragile than we think. Um, so, so, you know, suicide is... is, a, is Males are three to four times more likely to commit suicide than females. Females are more likely to attempt it, slit the wrist, and then call someone to call attention, get help. But males are likely to um, finish the act because the depression also cuts away the frontal lobe and the use of the frontal lobe. And so they'll take the risk. They'll, they'll put the gun to their head and take the risk and shoot themselves. Mm -hmm. um, whereas females are more likely to think it through and, and not complete uh, so, so uh, the, my, that my first big strategy and message is anyone, if you see something happening, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, that worries you, get help right away. Like lying. If you see your 13-year-old lying a lot, that's something that we often see in addiction genetics or just in the addiction system and pattern. And that could be a clue. Oh, your 13-year-old has actually started using something and you don't know it, but he has started using something or she has started using something. Lying behavior. Mm -hmm. uh, so look for those things. I guess that's the first thing I would say. So um, is there a distinction then in your mind between uh, people with the genetic disposition to addictions and substance abuse? I mean, can, can, you, can you abuse substances and, and not be addicted? Well, you could, you could become depressed and you could drink a lot because you're depressed. I mean, this often happens with adolescents. They mm -hmm. break up with their... Uh, you know, it's their first love, they break up and it hits them really hard and they, their grades drop, they're drinking, you know, um, but then they, they get help or, or they're marijuana or they're using substances and then they get help. People intervene and help them. And, you know, six months go by, help them through the grief and the, and the shame they feel and everything that they feel, the depression. Um, and then six months go by and then they're not using those substances and they're not drinking again. So that, mm -hmm. yes, they can abuse the substance situationally and temporary, uh, in a temporary manner. Uh, 
and it's usually self-medication through the depression. And just like I used substances, I was quite depressed. And, you know, as you know, I had an a, abusive background, both sexual and physical abuse. And I, I self-medicated. And so I did abuse that substance. I mean, using, using marijuana every night is abusing that substance. Uh, and I did abuse that substance. But then as I worked through things, I was in therapy, I worked through things, and then um, I didn't need to use it anymore. So yes, you're absolutely right. You could abuse it. It's going to be situational and temporary, I would argue, unless you have the genes for it to become permanent. All right. I guess what I'm thinking, and maybe this is the stereotype because you see it so much on TV, but it's the um, the people who go out uh, every night after work and they just get hammered. Um, they yeah. may not be addicted, but but or you think of college kids. Oh, I think kids. they're addicted. Uh, so so would you say, so would you say people who have this predisposition to just get hammered all the time they're addicted versus abusing substances We're, I'm trying to figure out the fine line you, you're well, taking us down a really interesting path so I'm trying to figure it out yeah and, and I every, and everyone is I mean it yep. is a it is, it is an area that we're just constantly studying yep. so the person who goes out and gets drunk every night um, uh, th- that that drinking is going to be in some way negatively affecting that person's relationships and life. So going to be relationships and family, um, uh, workplace, because hungover or, you know, not able to be productive. Um, and so we want to remember, once that happens, yeah, we're definitely in the realm of addiction. That is, mm. that is harming our lives. So we are abusing a substance so much, so continually, that it is harming the other parts of our lives. Mm-hmm. So I would think that person is addicted. Now, someone... Um, and we'll need the interventions, like AA. We'll need interventions yeah. that specifically speak to the depth of those addiction genes. Um, but the other case you described, or I think you're describing, where someone goes out and gets drunk on the weekend, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. That's not going to fit addiction genetics. And so, and to some extent, we're going to. And you talked about young people. To some extent, we're going to look at them maturing out of that mm-hmm. because they're they're right now. You know, they're risk taking. They're adolescents. They risk take. They, they they're brains love the dopamine of drinking and all of that, and that's what they're doing. Um, it's not harming their weekly life during the week, but on the weekends, they're hungover. And gradually, they're going to re- mature out of that and go, okay, I, I, I can't do that anymore. Um, but at least I, I, I am not an addict, and I did not destroy my life. Mm-hmm. I just drank on Saturday nights and partied and danced and uh, let loose and became uninhibited and you know made love and did all these things. Um, uh, now I've matured. And I live my life differently. Mm-hmm. That's what we would hope for for the person who is kind of drinking on the weekend or even binge drinking too much. But the one going out every night and drinking, I think, is an addict. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, we we live in such a um, particular in alcohol culture, um, and probably even more so now with things like social media, where people are always posting oh look I'm, I'm I'm finally out of work and I'm having my whatever I don't drink so I don't know what the names of the drinks are <laughs> but uh, you know having a beer or uh, man I can't wait to get out of here because I need to have a couple beers or I've arranged for my wife to pick me up because I'm just gonna get plastered tonight I, I'm trying to figure out what's the difference between that which is maybe just abuse or overuse versus addiction and and well that can be social drinking i mean i yeah. it's it's you know you have a designated driver and you decide you're going to be uninhibited and and drunk and you're young and uh i 
generally that's not ruining the rest of your life and it's just part of the journey of of maturation it's the journey of high risk behavior this is a journey of adolescence and emerging adulthood um to have that kind of fun you know have have that fun while you can right uh go get plastered while i can um i know I, I, i'm not seeing that uh, that can maybe the person is an addict then they're going to know because then they're not just going to do it once a month and call their spouse to be their designated driver they're going to be doing this every night that, that's yeah. what takes it to the other level okay so so let's uh, for, for this parent um i'm i'm guessing that here's my thing when i read this because i i read it probably differently than you do this is a mom who just wants to make sure that whatever her relationship her children have with let's say alcohol is a healthy one um and we've talked a little bit about some of the things we need to look for uh, in our children that would suggest they may have addiction genes. Um, but how do we talk about having a healthy relationship? And and that's part of what she was asking here. I, I may be asking it differently than she is, but she was talking about this speaker who just right. you know tried to to scare the the uh, substances out of the kids. Um, but there but are there ways to teach our kids how to be responsible with? things like alcohol or even marijuana, which is legalized now in a lot of our uh, states. Yeah, including my state. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think first, I want to say, first of all, I think what that speaker did is fine. Uh, the child may come home and say, and kind of roll their eyes about it Yep. at seventh grade and say, oh, you know, just tried to scare us. Yep. And that's okay, but it, 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 it gets in their heads. And so yeah. I think it's okay. I, yeah. I I would not say change that. I think we need to scare kids somewhat. Truthfully, um, I certainly scared my kids. I I definitely wanted them. Uh, I wanted to scare them about what could happen to them. Yeah. So so yes, I think that's okay. Now uh, the second thing I would say is that that the role modeling on this and the modeling is important. If if it is true that if the parent is drinking all the time and getting sloshed, okay, that child is going to be more likely to to take on that behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because kids model off the people they're close to and that they're well bonded with, you know, and they'll model off their parents. So it, one thing we can do strategically is make sure that we are, uh, you know, social, being social drinkers in a healthy way. Um, and and with marijuana use, uh, I, I, I'm not, you know, I would never use marijuana in front of my kids. Never did, never would. I think that marijuana... Um, it, I, I'm fine with marijuana being legal. I actually think every state should legalize it because I think there'll be a lot of money come in we could use for education. So I'm not one of those people who thinks that it should be illegal. If drinking is legal, then marijuana is going to be legal ultimately in every state. But that said, that said, I, I would hate to see a parent with a 12-year-old be smoking marijuana uh, or vaping or doing that every day because I just think that's going to model. And even if that kid doesn't have the addiction genes, we've got to be ready for that kid to do the high-risk behavior using marijuana. And that's a pretty altered state for a 12, 13, 14-year-old. So I would not like to see the parents using that substance at all in front of their kids. Um, I'd love to see them curtail drinking, not erase it, but just be aware. Uh, and, then, and then the third area strategically to work with is the kid's friends. Be really aware of what the kid's friends are doing. Um, because uh, some of the worrisome behavior our kids get into with alcohol and drugs happens even because we have, quote-unquote, raised them in a great home. And and that's like what she's saying. This home was a great home for this kid. Um, but they get into it through someone else. Yep. And so it's no – I see no problem for parents to be 
to, to be in constant communication with their kids about who their friends are, to have those friends over so we get to know those friends, to track their kids so their kids are have to be accountable to the parents as to where they are and what they're doing. Um, and especially now where every substance is available everywhere. Yep. So uh, we parents have to take hold of parenting. And um, and if we see a child, and this happened to me, by the way, with one of our kids, our kid, one of our kids got involved with another kid who was a bad influence. And we had to, you know, take the risk as parents of putting our feet down and saying, you cannot see her anymore. Look at the trouble she has gotten you and these other people into. You cannot see her. And it was a battle, you know, for two, three weeks. And then ultimately, our daughter said, okay, I'm glad you did that. <laughs> because, yeah. yeah, I didn't like what I became with her. But but be ready for three weeks or a month of yelling. Um, we have to take power away from friends who are getting our kids involved in, in substances. That's not going to stop the suicide piece. We need to talk about that separately. But that is going to help with um, making sure our kids... Uh, doing what we can to make sure our kids don't go down the road that that we are that's going to make us so sad. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments, and it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. So she she really references, it starts out her, her brother was addicted to meth or using meth. And uh, and then she's talking about, uh, you know, drugs, substances. We, we've kind of, uh, because I directed us that way to alcohol because it's so pervasive in our culture right now. But there are a lot of issues for for uh, parents as we're, tr- we're trying to battle this whole thing of, of drugs. And, and uh, you know, when you and I were kids, uh, we had the drug culture of the 60s and 70s. And, you know, we're hearing all of these stories about LSD and tripping out and getting high and, and um you know it, and it's gotten i think a lot more sophisticated now than when we were kids uh, in terms of how you get them and where you get them so um and this mom is sort of asking what are some things we can do and we've talked a little bit about it already to help our kids uh to to really protect themselves from getting into trouble with uh drugs now uh, alcohol aside but uh, some things that you would say, you know, you said it's okay to scare kids. And I think I think oh, that's yeah, true, too, because oh, yeah. I remember being scared by some of those videos. And we used to have the things, you know, this is your this is an egg. This is your brain on heroin or something. And it shows your brain frying up. So, you know, we used those in commercials when we were growing up. Uh, so what are some other strategies besides just scaring kids, educating them? What else can we do for our kids when it comes to uh, abuse of drugs? Well, I, I'm going to stay with what I what I said with the strategies I gave because now I'm going to go and answer her questions, which are going to intersect. Okay, but she also good. asked some Perfect. other questions. I want to make sure we get them answered. She said, "Should we should we talk to kids about depression and anxiety?" Yes, um, yes, it is a way in. And um, since substance abuse, especially in males, masks depression, uh, in females, masks anxiety. Um, we should talk to them about that, and then we should get them counseling help if we think that they are uh, you know, anxious, might have anxiety issues, depressed, get them immediately into counseling, and definitely look at meds, especially if they're in, into adolescence. So they're 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. You know, definitely 
um, look at all those possibilities. Uh, she also asks about, um, uh, hold on, masking depression. I'm reading it. Uh-huh. Anxiety. Oh, and trauma. Uh, we should absolutely talk to kids about trauma. Um, when this will help kids to help other kids because uh, so in terms of suicide prevention, in terms of looking at what's going on in these communities, and we just had one happen right here where I live, 19-year-old, great family, you know, everything good, and in this case wasn't really abusing substances until the very end and then killed himself. There's this, this happens fast with these guys, and um, one of the ways that we can intervene is by kids helping us understand what other kids are going through. Mm-hmm. And so when our kids... Um, when we tell our kids about trauma and we talk to them about trauma in the brain and what can happen to the brain, um, uh, they can be on the lookout for other kids who have been traumatized and they can become, um, you know, kind of big brother, big sister. And they can say to us, because it's not telling on a kid, this is not being a snitch. This is just, you know, I think Johnny, uh, I think his father beats him and I think he's becoming really depressed. And I can see he's using a lot of marijuana. So what we've done is we've educated our children on trauma, on depression, and on substances. Not just on substances, but on trauma and depression. And we elicit their help. Um, Because we as parents often cannot know, our kids are too good at hiding what's going on, we cannot know what they're going through until the very end, and then we try to intervene, but they commit suicide. So um, we got to get kids to help us. We got to get siblings to help us and friends to help us, and I would strongly suggest that. Um, And then the last thing I'll say in terms of suicide prevention is this has to become all of what we've talked about today, it has to become something that every school, every PTO, PTA has speakers come in to talk about. And, um, you know, and I know I am one of those speakers people will have come in, so you're welcome to have me come. We have others in our group in the Green Institute who can do it. Um, people who specialize and have the ability to show brain scans, to show what happens to the brain when it uses drugs, what happens to the brain when it's depressed, and can talk to communities, both adults and teens, um, about all of these things. And while that doesn't save every life, it is a way of raising awareness and taking the conversation into all these other areas that she's getting at, like trauma, depression, and getting it away from it just being about substance abuse, even though that's worthy, but getting it to be about all the possible um, ways in which kids are experiencing um, their emotions and and that also will tend to talk about will tend to talk about screens and social media and the amount of anxiety that causes and that's good for that to be in that conversation because it's it I do believe it is one of the reasons we're seeing an uptick uh, I I do think in the last 10 15 years that screens are a part of this and social media is a part of this it's not the cause but it's a part of it so all of that needs to get discussed publicly in a community well Michael I I really appreciate this today because I've learned some things about addictions and genes and substance abuse. And I have a hunch we'll probably be talking about this again yeah. uh, with some future podcasts because it's such an important issue. Uh, and we we know more today than we did a few years ago. And um, so if, if uh, those of you who are listening have some follow-up questions 
that a, a, a podcast like this has triggered for you, send them to us on wonderofparenting.com, and then we will uh, dive back in to some of these topics. Uh, and that's the great thing about doing a weekly podcast is, is we talk about these topics sort of over and over and over again from different perspectives uh, because they are so deep and so involved. So we want to, excuse me, so we want to thank all of you for listening. Michael, we want to thank you for listening. Oh, thank and you, Tim. for Thanks, all everyone. of your, uh, for listening to the question and for, and for all your great insight. And uh, we will be back next time with another listener question. We look forward to being with you then. Thanks for listening. Bye.